welcome to another chapter of Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, where we give you a deeper look into your favorite Christian authors and the inspirations, research, and methodology that goes into writing the books you love to read. Here's your host, Jamie Vaughn. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Vaughn with Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, today brought to you by Bethany House. On today's episode of the Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, we have Jamie Jo Wright, and she's here to talk to us about her latest novel, The Vanishing Castle of Moreau. Hi, Jamie. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? I'm doing great. First off, let's discuss names here. Yes. How smart is your, are your parents to name you J-A-I-M-E? Are exceptionally smart, so smart that they originally didn't name me J-A-I-M-E. They originally did this traditional J-A-M-I-E, and then they watched a show. It was either Wonder Woman or Superwoman oh, or something, and nice. the actress was it, J-A-I-M-E. Yes, it's um, it's the Bionic Woman. Was that what it was? Okay. Yeah, I knew it was something from... <laughs> Okay, well, yeah. hey, so they got it changed. They're like, oh, yeah. that's prettier. Mm-hmm. And it's French for I love. Yes. And um, yes. So yes. my mother now says she named me after James, the beloved brother of Jesus. But I know for a fact, my dad loved Lindsay Wagner. My mom was like, well, you can name her Jamie after the show. They went oh and God. got the TV guide and got the spelling of my name. Oh, so. See, we are kindred spirits already. Yes. Just instantly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I was so excited when the name came across, and I'm like, um, yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> My parents found out it means I love in French, too, and they were like, that's perfect, because I guess when I was a baby on up, they're like, you just loved life. You loved everything about it, so it just oh, fit, so. I love that, um, and very, very smart of them to change it, and we never have anything with our name on it, so. Oh, like, that's true. No, yeah. no keychains, no coffee mugs, nothing. So. No, I was very excited when Coca-Cola came out and did it, and because it's Jaime in Spanish, and right. you can find it in Florida, where yeah. I'm from, you can mm-hmm. see it. And I was so excited. I left the line and went and grabbed the Coke with it. <laughs> and I still have awesome. it. That's awesome. <laughs> so let's jump back into the book while we're actually here for. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what can you tell me about it? We'd love to hear some more about the story without giving too much away. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I'll try and, you know, excuse all the spoilers in advance. But um, yeah. The Vanishing at Castle Moreau is... It, it it started out as just a strange way of researching. I was trying to find something interesting in history to, to spin off of and um, was reading about a countess in Hungary who was known as one of the first female serial killers. Oh, wow. And she lived in a castle because countesses live in castles. Mm-hmm. And um, all the women just kept vanishing from the neighborhood. And so that's that's her own story. It's the story of Elizabeth Bathory, if anybody ever wants to go look up history. Okay. But I got to thinking, what would happen if we had a Midwestern castle, which oddly enough, we do have castles here in Wisconsin and Michigan area. Okay. And so I was like, what if we have one of those and women from over a century, it just they just keep disappearing whenever they're in. It's, it's like this vortex that a woman goes there and boom, they're gone and they vanish. Okay. And so that's the general drift of the story. It starts in 1801 from one perspective, and then it goes forward to, I think it's, I start getting my dates mixed up. I think it's like 1885. Uh-huh. And, and then it goes forward to present day. So there's three different time periods. And similar things are happening in all three time periods with the present day going, okay, we need to figure out what's going on here once and for all with this cursed castle. And that's essentially what it is. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So why do you like things Gothic? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really good question. Um, Is there a good answer to that question? I'm not sure. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, I've always loved things that um, have that dark kind of creepy element and the mm-hmm. gothic side of it is, you know, so Jane Eyre and Wuthering Heights. Right. Um, but at the same time, I love um, how when you have the darkness, there's those little pinpricks of light that come through and they're like, they're like hints of hope. Mm-hmm. And so I love fiction like that, where you're kind of walking through the darkness and then you start seeing these hints of hope. And as you get closer and closer, it gets brighter and brighter. Mm-hmm. And I just love that contrast in story because it is similar to life in some ways. I mean, we don't necessarily live Gothic. There's not, you know, women hiding in our attics that have been locked there for years, like in Jane Eyre, but we have trauma in our lives mm-hmm. and we need to see those pinpricks of hope. So I think that's one of the reasons I really gravitate there. So what can you tell me about the characters of the book? Yeah. So um, in the 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 very beginning, it's in first person. And the only thing you ever learn about this perspective is it's the girl. There's no name, nothing. It's, it's a small girl. And she's telling you her story of how her parents didn't believe that she kept seeing a woman with a crooked hand in her room at night. And her dad would come in, who was French, and he would be like, you know, no more Cherie. There's no woman with a crooked hand. It's just the ghost mistress of your dreams. And then he would leave the room and she would sit there and stare at the woman with the crooked hand who's in the corner and nobody else could see. (laughs) And so then you fast forward to, you know, the 1880s and you have Daisy. She's an orphaned girl who's come into womanhood and she's kind of looking for just a place to settle. And there's a a, sort of a mysterious job opening at the castle of Moreau um, that just says they need somebody to come and basically be a housemaid. And she gets there. And the only woman who lives in the castle is um, a Gothic authoress who's known for writing horror. And in in that day and age, it was not a cool thing for a female to be writing horror. And so she's definitely an outcast, although she's been making a name for herself. And so Daisy comes into this castle to be a housemaid, and then she finds that the woman's grandson, who's equally as odd and dark, um, pretty much lives in the upstairs study. And there's nothing right at the castle. Everything is wrong. There's no other servants. There's no one else. She's not even sure why she's there. And then she starts seeing glimpses of this woman in the hallways and hearing stories of the woman with the crooked hand. And then she uncovers the story of a local girl who has recently gone missing. Mm -hmm. And she starts finding clues in the castle that say this girl has at one point been inside Castle Moreau. And so Daisy starts trying to find that. And then you have the present day where you have Cleo. She comes to the castle and the woman living in the castle is a hoarder. And it's just present day. And the place is a dump. It's a mess. And she's been sent there to fix it and repair it and put organization to it. And she starts uncovering things. The deeper she digs, she starts uncovering the skeletons in the closet and um, finds out that there's a lot more hidden in Castle Moreau than anybody ever knew. So, wow. So do you like writing more of the historical or more the contemporary side of things? I would say it's a really 50-50. I I love both sides of them, but I try and write my stories in a way where one can't survive without the other. Mm -hmm. So like I'll I'll read uh, stories that are, they call them split time stories where they take place in two different time periods or three different time periods. And there's some that I'll read where I I feel like I could just read the historical one and get a good story and not really worry about the contemporary. 
But with my stories, the mystery is so interwoven. If you try to read just one, you won't understand what the story is about. And so they're so pivotal to each other that I just, I enjoy writing them both. Oh, I love that. So um, how do you craft a story like this and not make it too scary? Because I'm probably going to dream about the woman with the crooked hand tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it is a fine line to walk, especially within Christian fiction. Right. Um, You know, I always like to say that my stories are, are sort of like a Scooby-Doo cartoon. Mm-hmm. They're creepy. There's monsters, there's ghosts, there's, you know, who know what's it's in the shadows. Right. But then at the end, the sheet comes off and the answers start to come out and they're not necessarily paranormal and they're not necessarily supernatural. Mm-hmm. There's a really logical explanation, which becomes a pivotal part of the spiritual theme to the, the characters' lives. And um, so how I come up with those is I would just say a very overactive imagination. <laughs> And I love listening to, um, you know, there's this whole trend right now, you know, listen to true crime podcasts and stuff like that. I love the ones that take place back in the olden days, like Mm -hmm. the true crime from 1884 or 1840. Like there's even a murder that Edgar Allan Poe was supposedly a suspect in. And, you know, those are different things that are Mm -hmm. fun to explore. And those always just whet my appetite for the story. So when the reader finishes his book and get to the last chapter, he hit that last period, says the end, closes it. What do you want him to take away? Mm. This book is really near and dear to my heart um, because I wanted the story of Castle Moreau, which is all about vanishing women, um, mm-hmm. to also be a story about a refuge. Okay. Um, and it's such a contrast to what Castle Moreau is and what it looks like. And um, as I was writing the book, I started really diving into what's the difference between being rescued versus a refuge. And rescue is really when you're taken up out of a bad situation and you're removed from it permanently, you're rescued from it. But a refuge is you're still going to go through that storm. You're Mm -hmm. still going to go through those trials and those darkness and those ghouls that are hiding in the corner, but God can still provide a refuge within that. And there's a reason why all of this is happening and all of this trauma is going on around you that will come out and God will work all things together for good, according to his purpose for those who love God. And so that concept of a refuge is what I hope the reader can get when they close the book. And maybe their life isn't good, but -hmm. they can have that hope that God has not forgotten. Right. And that he is providing a refuge in the midst of the storm. And they can look for that because it's promised to them mm-hmm. and that this is not all for naught. It is going somewhere. Yeah, I love that. So what are you working on next? <laughs> I am working on The Lost Boys at Barlow Theater, okay. which is really fun. And in short, it's a story of it's a, it's also a dual time story with two different points of view from different eras, but it's based on a theater in my hometown that Al Ringling from the Ringling Brothers Circus built. That's a beautiful European theater. And there's so many ghost stories involved. And one of them is the story of the lost boys who went into the theater and never came out. And to this day, you can still hear them in the walls crying to get out. And so it's a story about the lost boys of the theater. And um, it's pretty exciting. I'm having fun getting it all together. 
Oh, well, I can't wait to read that one too. (laughs) (laughs) Well, everyone, if you are excited to read The Vanishing Castle of Moreau, make sure to go and get it at your local Christian bookstore or wherever you buy books and hit subscribe below so you do not miss another episode of the Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. Thanks for listening to Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. Stay up to date on all things Christian fiction at familyfiction.com. Christian Fiction Bookshelf is produced by Ross Kluver, hosted by Jamie Vaughn, and edited by Brandon Woolham. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss a chapter.